0: Hi there, this is Alvin, and welcome to the Kickstart Commerce Podcast, where we share search marketing and domain investing strategies to help grow your business. In today's episode, our guest is Margo Bushnack, an accidental domain investor and serial entrepreneur, having founded Boxador.com and Brandbucket.com. Today, Margo and I discuss why she considers herself an accidental domain investor, how a domain incubator led to founding the industry's top marketplace for brandable domains, she also shares the qualifying factors of how to value a brandable domain. Last but not least, we discuss the current and future trends in the brandable domain marketplace. So with that, Margot, welcome and thank you for making time to join us today.
1: Hi, thank you, Alvin. Thanks for having me on.
0: Certainly, and so one little tidbit here. I'm. I actually feel privileged and honored because Marco doesn't. She doesn't do interviews too often, and so the fact that she said yes, I went dancing around the room. I think I even went for a walk, um, around the block. That just truly made my day. Um, and that's so dangerous I,
1: during these times. <laughs> I gotta stay
0: inside. Well, hey, I I had my mask on, so <laughs> that's worth that's worth something. If if not life altogether. Um. So it's good to have you on. So to kick things off, I mean, why don't you share briefly at a high level with our listeners a bit about yourself, you know, who you are, your personal and uh, professional background?
1: Well, I guess kind of front and center in my life, the last 10 years has been being a mom. So everything follows that, which um, I have three <laughs> kids <laughs> And, and really in that time and a couple of years before that time is when I decided to, to work for myself. I had had a corporate job for seven or eight years and it really burned me out. And, you know, at that point I was like, never again, which worked out perfectly because then you start having kids and you can put the time where you want to put it. My husband and I have an incubator together. So we're constantly thinking of new business ideas, talking to entrepreneurs for new business ideas testing the waters with things. Some things hit, some things miss. And it's, it's just a lot of fun. We're along for the ride in the entrepreneurial world. And it's, uh, it's
0: great. <laughs> so before Boxador, I mean, did y'all have other projects?
1: Uh, Boxador is the incubator. So before we started Boxador, um, it was actually my husband's company that I worked for, the corporate company. It was in digital security. Top floor was a bunch of hackers from all around the world breaking stuff. Bottom floor was a bunch of salespeople selling software to help fix broken stuff. And I was kind of the glue in between. I was working, um, I was a systems engineer, so I was building a lot of software to to connect all the parts between the software and the licensing and marketing and all that stuff. And so when we started Boxador, it was kind of, or actually that, that corporate company came out of an incubator. A few years before that, there were three or four companies being built all at the same time, and the dot-com bubble hit. And the three companies that um, had customers that were the people who collapsed had to shut down. And the last remaining company was this little tiny security software (laughs) thing that um, we had started with a little hacker high school dropout had just uh, had an idea. And that grew into a very, very big company with you know, 150 employees and selling to governments and banks. And That's amazing. And so you kind of, you start small with a lot of like little ideas. One grows really big and then you, you know, finish that and you start all over again. So Boxador was the incubator, lots of little ideas. We've had one get really, really big and exit and we kind of, the other ones are like brand bucket they're they're chugging along and funding funding our fun, funding our ability to <laughs> to try to build new stuff and keep an engineering team going and it's it, it's a, it's a good model for us we we have so many ideas and it's fun to be able to have the resources to to try some of them out
0: that's what i was about to say i mean it it sounds like you really have your – both you and your husband have your hands in um a lot of different uh pots, if you will, or another analogy would probably be um, plate spinning. Uh, you all seem to have a lot of plates spinning at, at any one time. Yeah, it's
1: <laughs> and you definitely have to segment your week. You know, you give certain parts of certain days with focus on the different products or else your head starts spinning with the plates. You know, you have to, <laughs> you have to sit down. We, we have a product manager for each product. And so you just sit down and focus and, and look at the roadmap and look at, you know pain points and and possibilities for each one
0: that is awesome, so then, in terms of of the domain industry, like how did you get interested into domain investing?
1: That was like you said kind of by accident. Um, the summer after I quit my corporate job, I was doing a lot of nothing, and we were brainstorming ideas for products like we always did we Together, my husband and I had maybe a hundred domain names that were names that we had bought for ideas, but then never developed. And I was looking for a new one for a new idea and came across GoDaddy Auctions, bought it, and then was poking around. I'm like, there's some really cool names in here. (laughs) And I fell in love with five and six letter invented names, you know, just names that meant nothing. And for no future plans of selling them at all, just purely because I thought they were cool, I started buying them. And we filled our bucket, so to say. So we, like, the <laughs> idea was we always needed a name for something, so we had our list that we would always go to when we have a new idea. And it was about that time that my husband like, let, let me know after seven years of being together that he had had a, a domain name sale you know, back in 1999 for seven figures. Oh wow! I was like, really? Like you can sell these things? <laughs> this is crazy. And so coinciding with that, we had put up a WordPress site with the names because he is a very visual guy. And I can look at a list of words and kind of tell you the meaning and the feeling behind the word. So if it's a very feminine flowy word or a very strong punchy word, I I can do that just by, you know, seeing the letters, but he's being so visual. He needed visual help to be able to look at a list of names when we needed to go to our bucket, being able to look at the list and like immediately remind himself, okay, this is a feminine name. This is a, this is a corporate name. Uh. So he made logos for every single name for our own use. And they were up on a WordPress site. And it got indexed by Google and people started coming and asking how much. And so the the story from my husband about how he had sold the domain name with people inquiring about how much, the light bulb just went off. And I started asking every single person that came, you know, why, why do you like this name? And they're like, well, it was so easy. I was spinning my head thinking of a name and I came across your site and it was like shopping. I went shopping for my name. He's like, it it was so much easier than brainstorming. And I (laughs) thought about it. And I said, that's exactly what we do when we go to our list, instead of sitting there and trying to think of a combination of words and finding out if it's available, it was just much easier to go and match the idea to something you saw. And so we're like, you know what, let's, actually add to this, let's put everything we own up there, except the ones that, you know, we're we're really thinking about building ideas for, because most ideas just flutter away and you don't do anything with them. So we put everything up there. And for two years, we sold a handful of our names. And we sat down, we said, this could be really something. And that all came from every single buyer coming to us and saying, I was lost until I found your site. And we're like, okay, we need to expand. We need to have bigger inventory. We can't do this on our own. Not only just financially, we can't go buy every name we wanna buy, but creatively I have one particular taste. He has one particular taste, but we needed other people's ideas and tastes to kind of round out everything. So we sat down and built the infrastructure for other people to come in and give their names for consideration. And that's how the curation came about because at first we thought, you know, we'll let every name in, but then the first <laughs> thousand names came. And we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, hold on. <laughs> There's got to be a little level of quality here or else this is going to be another CEDO. It's going to be, you know, two million names with, right. you know, no rhyme or reason. And so we, we started basically saying yay or nay. And, and then the curation came about and the rest was history. It kind of hasn't, fundamentally changed since then it's it's a site that visually displays names that helps buyers with a shopping experience for their new startup and it curates names owned by other people
0: one of the things that kind of stuck out to me was that you were buying five and six letters now did you understand at the moment you were buying those that they were valuable not at all wow so it was Pretty much it was based on linguistics and what you felt uh, when you just saw a name.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I've learned since then. I do have a background in linguistics. It was part of my my major in college, but I never thought that I would use it in my career. It was one of those, you know, it's like an English major. You come out and every job placed in front of you has something not to do with Shakespeare. So you, <laughs> you just assume you, you make a, you kind of give it up that, you know, at this point, I'm never going to use this piece of what I learned, but it just over time, and again, mainly just from the people coming to the website and my team around me, you know, they have made me realize that this linguistic background is what makes our curation special. I think right. and kind of kind of what made me fall in love with those names was really the feeling that they gave more than what they meant, because the the core, the core base of names that we put up in 2007 were just invented five and six letter names that meant nothing.
0: Amazing. now, were most of those I would assume were probably expired auction purchases, or did you actually happen to register or hand register some of those?
1: They were all expired auction. I actually I have the same I have the same uh, problem that the people who use Brand Bucket do, where I have a lot harder time thinking of something than seeing it and knowing knowing I like it. So hand registering is very, very difficult for me. And I second guess my own taste, but if I look at a list, I can tell you what I like
0: interesting so then, looking through expired domain auctions, i mean it so obviously everyone else you're probably bidding against other people, but I guess at any given moment i was I'm assuming that you're probably buying in in some cases the mid three figures, maybe four at that moment um in time, but Seeing some of those domains, I guess, like, were you, um, was there any sort of sticker shock along the way of like, why are people paying or bidding uh, these names up?
1: They weren't back then. That was the beautiful thing is there were five and six letter names going and nobody else was bidding on them. So I, is, <laughs> and in the last couple of years, I've tried to get back into it. And, and that's when the sticker shock hit me.
0: Oh, <laughs> good luck. Good yeah, luck. I mean. Exactly. I've seen, um, you know, domains that probably four and five years ago you probably would have gotten for anywhere from one hundred and fifty to two hundred dollars, and they're well into the thousands, if not, you know, two and three thousand here or there, uh, depending on what that that given combination is. So that's interesting. So then, in terms of, so when you all put the names up, obviously, you put them up, it gets, I guess, lightning in a bottle moment in terms of Google indexing it, people start coming, how did you all figure out how to price or value those given domains that were uh, being inquired about? It was really
1: a little bit of research on kind of what people are willing to spend when they're starting a business, willing to spend as a whole on incorporation, on trademark fees, on everything, and kind of what can we, what's the maximum we can charge where we don't have people walk away. So really the first two years before we opened it up to other people's names was a lot of trial and error. It was, Mm. we were changing prices all the time, kind of testing the threshold of, you know, what would make people buy instantly and what would make people really, really feel like they had to negotiate. And we wanted, it was very important to us the buy instantly
0: price. Yeah, that frictionless purchase. Yep. Now, I would assume, though, that the startup incubator likely helped you all in terms of understanding uh, just the mindset of business owners, entrepreneurs, those starting out a business, um, as well as knowing, you know, what a, a given company, especially a company that winds up getting funding, is willing to spend in terms or willing to invest in terms of a domain name upgrade or even just to outright purchase and start.
1: Yeah, we, um, being entrepreneurs ourselves, having started a lot of companies, that had a lot of influence on what we were charging. And it, um, as we've found out as the years have gone on, the majority of our buyers are second, third, or fourth time entrepreneurs. Mm. And I think that's probably because the pricing that we've set was because we were serial entrepreneurs. And it's only been really more recently where we've had to step back and look at people, first time entrepreneurs, what is their threshold? And really it's very, very difficult to convince someone who's really bootstrapping and has a lot of fear of the risk. It's very hard to convince them to spend $3,000 on a name. Right. Really, the only argument that works is if you don't end up succeeding in business, this is an asset that you can turn around and resell. But other than that, and a lot of people don't even want to, to hold an asset like that. So other than that, we we've realized that Brand Bucket is built kind of more for more seasoned entrepreneurs, and we've been building this year other channels to support first-time entrepreneurs and to bring them into the world of domaining in kind of a more gentle way. So we have um, a, a crowdsourcing, you know, help me find my name where you pay $250 and then you get a hand name behind it. And so you, but all that time, we're trying to kind of build a community and build a, a group of entrepreneurs by keeping them engaged after they go through that contest purchase so that when they do build their second or third or fourth business, we they they know about us and they know where to go for a name that's faster. And then and at that point they usually have a little more padding in their pocketbook. Right. And they're they can they can absorb the risk a little bit more, as it were, and, and they're more willing to spend a little more on their on their domain name.
0: So that's an interesting notion of and I want to kind of circle back to it. Is that a first-time entrepreneur? Even though the the sell uh, to them is, hey, even if you aren't successful, you can still uh, hold this as an asset and be able to uh, likely flip it or either redevelop or reimagine it as something else. But that is an interesting notion that uh, most would not want to to hold this type of asset. I mean, why do you think that's the case?
1: I think they're unfamiliar with the industry of the domain aftermarket. So really it's the person that they're buying from or potentially buying from that's telling them that they can resell it. And there's a matter of trust there. They really, they probably know GoDaddy, but they haven't gone into the GoDaddy auctions because it's a bit difficult to find the auctions if you are just going straight to GoDaddy.com they the the domain industry is a very large place but still i feel like maybe only 20 percent of the population of business owners know about it the aftermarket i would say everyone at this point kind of knows what a domain is but they've been seasoned that they they've been trained that a domain name is (laughs) ten dollars right only after you've kind of dug and gone down the rabbit hole of why isn't any domain name that i want available to me that people start seeing the other side of it being an asset it's, that is, it's the wild west of people just putting <laughs> a stake in the land saying this is mine now you know 200 years later saying you can't just have this piece of land it, it's, it's owned by somebody you need to pay for it now
0: wow and, and really getting down to the I guess, getting deeper into the mindset of, you know, because the next question is, well, why should I pay that much? You know, it's just a domain name. Uh, And then, and likely most cases, I would imagine most people would just say, you know what, I'm just going to move on. I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to, or choose a different name. Um, Where in your case, in terms of brand bucket, it, it actually probably works through your favor that if they did find something and it wasn't necessarily in the price that they wanted, they're still, a trove of other names that are likely going to catch their eye and likely at different price points. I would imagine.
1: Yeah, we, we still, our lowest price point is still around $1,500, which is kind of a, a tough pull to swallow still for first time entrepreneurs, but it, it does help. We, I and mean, we run the range from 1500 all the way up to 2 million. So we've got something for everyone. As long as you can reach the 1500 mark.
0: Got it. Now you also, um, I guess, acquired, what was it, brandroot.com? Mm-hmm. And yeah. how, long, how long ago was that? I mean, that was exactly years. one
1: year ago.
0: Oh, I thought it was a couple years ago. Well, it probably seems that way with COVID. Um, yeah. Everything seems to be a far, far distant uh, memory of the past. So exactly one year ago. So what brought about um, making that acquisition?
1: um well we had been in contact with michael of brandroot really since the beginning he was a seller of ours who saw the opportunity that that we were building saw that he had his own taste in names and he had his own very big collection of names and went off on his own and he had a lot of really good success and he had he was very great at seo he had a lot of good success with um organic search traffic and I think that drove a lot of his business. And then he had some unfortunate success or or lack of success with SEO. You know, Google does what Google does and decides all of a sudden one day that they don't like you. <laughs> and um, and I think around that time he was just looking kind of for a change and he reached out and we've always we've always stayed friendly and he reached out and said, do You want to do something? So we we worked together and kind of found a good a good uh, point for both of us for to bring the sites together, to bring the inventory together, and to basically use brand root going forward as one of these many sites they were talking about of trying to get into entrepreneurs in different ways, try to get in front of them in different ways.
0: Gotcha, and it's still, and it's still, it's standalone uh, brand uh, even today, right?
1: It is. Um, the, a savvy person would notice that. The inventory is exactly the same on both sites, but we're just going about the search into the inventory differently. We're testing a few things.
0: Nice, nice. So then, now how did that, doing that purchase, so a year ago, like what's changed within a year since making uh, that that acquisition?
1: Not too much. A year, a year is really short right. <laughs> in the life cycle of, of building a business. Um, the increased inventory has helped definitely we we saw about a twenty percent uptick in amount of names sold, which coincided with the, the uh, amount of names that came over and one thing again, going back to when we decided to open up our marketplace for other people's names, it was about a taste and so Brand bucket has always had one particular taste, primarily driven by me, and Brand root had a different taste and i would I would look at it and I'd be like, oh I would." I don't really like that name, but then that name comes over and it sells. And I have to tell myself every day you know, that there, there are many different tastes in this world.
0: That's awesome too, <laughs> that, that you could look at a name, look at it on another marketplace and go, I don't know about that, bring it in, it sells. But then also it, it probably changes. I mean, there are probably names that you look at and you go, that has no business selling for what it sold for. Oh, but it did. And it, you know, likely becomes um, a data point that you, you know, use going forward. I would imagine.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: And brandables
1: are a weird type of name. Right. Um, And we can always. I mean, this we could talk about this for hours. But really, there's no there's no data behind them that helps you with valuation. They have no traffic. They have no (laughs) inherent organic search benefit whatsoever but it it's really the beauty is in the eye of the beholder and if a if a client comes and they see it and they fall in love with it really it doesn't matter what the price is I mean it kind of matters but <laughs> like within a range it doesn't matter they're like I have to have that name that is the perfect name it really resonates
0: that just seems to fly into the face of, if you will, conventional domain investing. Because in most cases, most people are going to tell you, park the domain, see if it has any traffic, see if you can monetize some of the traffic. And here you just said that for no rhyme or reason, in most cases, most of these domains do not have traffic.
1: They don't have traffic. You can't, you can't outbound sell them, you know, that no one would ever, first of all, if they have no meaning other than just a couple of words, there's very little target audience for them. So it's, it's the kind of special little name that we built brand bucket for. And that's, it's four names that customers would never know that they wanted. They would never type into GoDaddy, but when they see it, they know it and they like it.
0: So now are there combinations of of letters like have you seen and and this is probably going to either prove that there is data or that there's not data, but you know, when I think about um I believe it was the uh domain bubble where Chinese investors were buying four uh character dot com domains. And so there were rules of thumb, if you will, that were like, hey, don't buy, or Westerners don't like uh, four-letter or four-character domains that have V or K or W or, you know, things like that. Now, do those same uh, thoughts, can they apply or do they apply to uh, brandable domains? Um, in
1: a sense, uh, we really... Because English is our first language, and I do speak several languages, so I know some other ones, but mainly Latin-based, the names that we sell and that we find sell well to, to the American, Australian, and European markets are things that have a construct similar to English. So you can't have very often like a G next to a P and have anybody really like it or want to buy it. But if it, if it looks... Similar to an English word, so especially if it's an invented word, if it looks like it could be an English word, <laughs> then then it's usually good.
0: <laughs> that looks like it belongs in Webster's. <laughs> let's let's see if we can sell it. Um, yeah, like Google. <laughs> true, and so that's an that's an interesting thing. Of just one of the examples that you gave there, if if a G is next to a P, um, I guess are there others that are. Kind of like that. I mean, it's probably something like, hey, if there's a Q next to a P or just other common ones that come to mind that you think about that you would go, hey, you probably, eh, you probably want to leave that one, leave that one alone.
1: No, there, there's so many combinations of good ones and there's so many combinations of bad ones.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, for some reason, and if there's any data point that I've been able to find over 13 years, buyers don't like V. <laughs> I don't know really? why. Really? Like they'll take an X and a Z any day and a Q over a V. I don't know. I I don't know if it's maybe we do have a lot of Germanic buyers and for them, they look at like, well, we pronounce Vs differently than the rest of the world and they make fun of us for it. Uh, (laughs) Maybe they don't want the V.
0: Which, which I would think the same thing would be with uh, the Z or the Z.
1: It's like, uh,
0: Okay so that that is that so that's something something to consider it then is who that based on what letters or, or combination of letters you have is probably going to either open you up to a larger number of buyers or it limits you um to you know a certain group of buyers i would imagine yeah and so then in terms of of um I kind of want to circle around to the terms of the, the curation. So obviously we likely have listeners that are out there that are going to feel, Oh, wow. I didn't know anything about brand bucket and I want to go over and submit my entire portfolio. What does Margo say to that? <laughs> <clears throat> well, I think I know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we We've tried to, Discourage people from doing that by putting we have a one dollar per name submission fee, uh-huh. and not only does that help kind of put the bill of the work that we put into it, <clears throat> but it was put there so that people wouldn't come dump 2,000 names on us. Like, we really want you to look at the site, look at the kinds of names, and then go back to your own portfolio and pick the first 10. We give everyone 10 free names when they first sign up. So take the 10 that you think are the best match, give them to us, you know, you'll get your feedback and we can go from there. Um, Any brandable marketplace, so Brand Bucket and everything else that kind of considers itself a brandable marketplace should be for names that do not have high type in traffic, that are hard to sell outbound that really are the names that you love and you don't know why you love them because there's no data to support (laughs) why it's a good name. So just, just you, you find the gems and, you know, like I was just thinking one day that Disco Sloth was really cool and I went and Disco Sloth was available and I I registered it and I don't know why I like it. It just creates (laughs) such a funny picture. (laughs) So then then you, it's that kind of name, like those pieces of your portfolio that, that you should bring to to Brandbucket and any brandable marketplace, I should say.
0: And so what's that process like? So I submit a name to Brandbucket and then kind of walk us through the process of what happens and what the timeline is of knowing from once I submit to once I'm either a, a, a no or go, I guess, what does that process consist of?
1: Um, you submit and you wait for feedback. Um, the time on that varies. The, once you say, um, But once we say yes, we actually give you a price for it that that we think. It's actually a price range that we think it would sell for. At that point, if you agree, it's really just a click of a button. It goes forward. It goes to our editors. We put a lot of metadata behind it for search. It goes to logo designers, and it goes live. If you disagree with the price, we're open to having a conversation about that. Um, We don't like to do it for hundreds of names. We really just say kind of like one name at a time, you know, the ones that like you're really, really sure about that you think it should be valued higher. Um, Let's talk about it. And if you don't agree with the price or if we don't accept the name, kind of that's the end of the path there. But hopefully there's something that we can get listed from what's
0: submitted. And so... And which, which I think is great um, because, like you said, it's definitely the value that Brand Bucket, uh, that likely both uh, marketplaces, Brand Root and Brand Bucket, bring is the fact of it being curated names um, and not just a free for all. Um, that being Thanks. said, now, uh, the one thing that I think about is obviously you're, it's, it's more than just a single domain. So, when I think in terms of just a domain name by itself, there's also just the added value of one you're being on, you're being uh, advertised or this domain investors domain is being advertised on a marketplace, but you're also bringing light to um, that given domain by adding a uh, logo to it. Um, And so, you know, I, I start thinking about just the many things that now start to stack up um, and create a greater opportunity for a domain uh to sell. But then I guess from, from a seller's standpoint, you know, you you have I guess you're you you're really serving two different markets. There's a seller, but there's also a buyer. So what are you doing or what is brand bucket doing in terms of getting in front of buyers? I mean are you I'm assuming that you're likely uh obviously you have an incubator, but you're probably a part of startup associations or meetups.
1: Yep. We do. We do a lot of sponsorship of hackathons. We're pretty entrenched in the BC community. We've just throughout all the products and companies we've owned and built, you know, we've gotten funding and various funding rounds for all of those. And so you, you meet and you know, a lot of people and we're able to kind of be in their arsenal of, of, um, Tools that they can recommend to people coming in their doors. So they can say, I love your pitch. I might invest in your product, but you got to change your name. You know, (laughs) you got to go over here. And even if they don't decide to change the name at that point, at least they've told somebody about us. And then when they go to start a new product or when their friend is starting a new product, because the startup community is very infectious. You know, if you have a friend that started something, you want to start something. So we have a very, very strong word of mouth uh, marketing going on. But as far as buyers and sellers, we we built Brand Bucket for buyers. And at the end of the day, most of the decisions that we've made as far as how we run the site, it is with an eye on the buyer. It's very, very easy, especially if a new brandable marketplace is coming out and it's coming from someone within the domain investor community, it's very, very easy to fall trap to trying to appease sellers 80% of the time, Mm. which then in our opinion, makes it, um, not so great experience for buyers in, in a lot of cases. So we, um, when I was mentoring for the Founders Institute, which I did for a little bit in Los Angeles, um, the, the leader of that, Adeo, was giving a talk and everyone was going around saying what they do. And someone right before me said that they have a marketplace and he stopped them. And I, 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 and this actually changed my answer when it got to me, but he stopped that person and said, you know what? I'm never going to invest a marketplace ever again. He's like marketplaces are the hardest business to run because you have to please two groups of people. And every decision is going to make one happy and the other unhappy. And so it's, and, and ever since he said that, I've kind of viewed Brand Bucket as walking that line. So when we suggest a price to a seller, we're really suggesting a price. We're trying to walk that line. We're trying to get it as high as possible to please the seller. But at the same time, we're trying to get it as low as possible to, pre, to please the buyer. We're really trying to find that sweet spot where a buyer's not going to walk away, which at the end of the day makes the seller happy. You know, they've, they've made a sale right but a lot of times sellers get upset and they're like you really really undervalue the names and like ah but i don't know <laughs> the buyers wouldn't say that you know so you have to walk that line and so the curation is for the buyers the search algorithm is really for the buyers and it's everything in, in our mind is we have to work we have to stand up for the buyers or else nothing would ever sell and the sellers would be unhappy anyway <laughs> we just want to
0: sell. You mean sellers get upset? Domain sellers? Here
1: and there.
0: <laughs> I can only imagine just to have to uh look through a list of domains, curate that list, you you know, somebody submits fifty and you're only able to take five. It's like everybody believes the you know, it's it's the um old baby adage. Everybody believes their baby is beautiful and pretty and in it. To a certain extent, I'm like, yes, that is true, but again, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Um and so it's it's one of those things of you either keep this domain, keep renewing it, or you you know come back to reality and you know you're able to sell it. It's probably for less than than what you'd like, but hey, you can actually sell it. So then kind of transitioning here, so how has COVID impacted just the startup incubator as well as brand bucket and, and uh, brand root or, ha- or has it, has there been an impact?
1: Right at the beginning. So the first two weeks when I think the entire world froze, we, we saw sales kind of freeze and we were worried, but slowly we started to see a pattern come back that we hadn't really seen since 2009, 2010, hmm. which um, uh, around 2009, 2010, we used to have so many sales on Friday nights and Saturdays (laughs) and we were like, why is this, you know, what's going on? And and it was, it was people who were coming out of the recession, dreaming about a business and they probably still had a job, but they finished that job on Friday and Mm -hmm. they go to work on their side hustle. And then over the next few years, our sales started to spread out during the week and they would actually go a little quiet on the weekend and then pick back up Monday, Tuesday, which said that it was more of a corporate culture, you know, looking at right. brand bucket and buying names. But after COVID, it went straight back to the Friday nights. <laughs> we, still have, we still have the Monday, Tuesday sales, but it picked up again on Friday. And I think we're, we've got just here in the US, you know, 30 some million people out of work. Right. And it's easier than ever to learn how to code start a business that YouTube is amazing. The tools online are amazing. And I think every single person is out there wanting to start something right now. And it's, it's been phenomenal for brand bucket. I think just the, the groundwork that was laid as far as word of mouth and all the online marketing that we've been done over the years has been really beneficial for people to find us now, because historically it's been very hard to get in front of people starting a business. But there's enough people out there where COVID has been great in a way. The other business is not so much. Right. The the customers of those businesses have been the ones hit by COVID. We have a lot of retail customers. But Brand Bucket's pulling the horse.
0: And so then I guess in in terms of the future, like what do you see um, as it pertains to just brandable domains and some of the current trends or future trends?
1: People will always watch uh, startups will always watch what else is being started and what else is getting funding. So trends are really driven by the companies doing well. So in the last few years, every company that you know had an IPO or has been a media darling has been a single word name. So everyone else wants either a single word or they have that word and they put "get" in front of it or. Mm. hello or hey. Um, and I think that actually has helped the CCTLD market also because it's now not so uncool to start on an I.O. And everyone right. says, you know, you're going to need to pay for the dot-com later. And they're like, well, yeah, it's it's after I get my several million in funding. I'll go get, I'll go get the dot-com. But at the same time, I think there's there's people who want to name themselves in a copycat way, but there's also still the, I have to fall in love with it name. Naming a business is so personal. And really, if you settle and you don't find something that you like, it's going to haunt you. So every time that you make a Dropbox folder or every time that you make letterhead, you're going to look at that name and be like, oh, you know, I don't really like it. <laughs> but- <laughs> so I think trends are one thing, but at the same time, just having a variety and putting that variety in front of people means that every kind of name is still got a chance. Someone's going to fall in love with something.
0: Now, you mentioned the the CCTLDs. Now, I, I'm assuming then Brent Bucket is really focused on .com, right?
1: We do have some IO, and ME, and we're considering maybe opening up a few others, but the, they have to be stellar. You know, they have to, like the data <laughs> points for how much those sell for, like really because our minimum is 1500 because that is the audience we're going after, and that is where all of our marketing dollars are spent, it, it has to kind of be in that range mm. to, to make the cut.
0: Yeah, because uh, at least at the time of this recording, .io. I mean, it seems like is on fire.
1: Oh my gosh, I was just watching an auction that went over two thousand. I was like, oh, like a year <laughs> ago, I could have gotten this for twenty bucks.
0: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so it's and it and at least for me, it doesn't appear to be that there's a rhyme or reason. Um, and even uh, I think I've even started seeing uh, .co uh, names also. You know, getting up into that that four figure range with ease, um, in the auctions.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's becoming more common. I think, especially outside of the U.S. I think because a lot of countries are .co. country extension.
2: Right.
1: They see .co. as almost a shortening of that. I'm I'm, um, partial to .cos because I'm from Colorado. So <laughs> that's why. <I'm> <laughs> Got my Colorado
0: collection going on. And yeah, that, and it makes me think of uh, .LA, obviously, in terms of Los Angeles, but in terms of Louisiana. So it's interesting. It is interesting. And so then, in terms of, like, future, so I'm assuming then most of Brand Bucket's domains are likely going to be either, what, five or six characters. Now, what, I guess... Where is the line drawn at in terms of really what a brandable domain is? I mean, what's too many characters? What's not enough characters?
1: Um, it's not so much characters because we have a lot of keyword names and double keyword names mm-hmm. that just due to the nature of the word, you know, that it gets longer, but as long as it's a very common word, like delicious, you know, like it, delicious is a really long word when you think about it. <laughs> it's a lot <laughs> of characters. It's more, yeah, it's more just the feeling of the name, I think, mm-hmm. like there's, we, we do, there are buyers that come in and we see them come in and land on the page five letter names, but then they end up buying a six letter or a seven letter or a double keyword name, you know, it's kind of, they have in their mind that they want something that someone has told them they have to get, but then they end up liking something better and they buy something better
0: if that isn't a, a testament to <laughs> what you were just saying of there is no rhyme or reason, which is, it, it it's kind of baffling to me to say the very least. And I'm just like, there has to be a rhyme or reason somewhere into I do this, we do that. We get a result.
1: Well, as far as what makes a brandable for us, kind of the names that we don't like are, names that really can only be used for one purpose Mm. which is like where a plural dictionary word comes in so if you come to me with sofas that's a great name it's worth a lot of money but that has a very obvious buyer and i have to sit here and wait for someone wanting to sell sofas to come to the (laughs) site and every other person that comes to the site that's not selling sofas has to pass by that name and disregard it. So we really, really like things. The, the more generic, the better. If it's just a visual name like Caterpillar, I mean, who would have thought that Caterpillar would be a big machinery company? It could have been anything. And there could have been a lot of businesses where like, I identify with a Caterpillar. And they, like, we want names where almost every single person going by it can stop and be like that can almost apply to me or that really does apply to me and so we want things that are industry agnostic you know or at least could be you know a couple of different industries in front of them so when someone's browsing <laughs> the site they don't see a lot of stuff they don't like
0: and that and that probably and that's just yet another lens to look through about the importance of of uh just the i guess you'd say we call it the domain name association um or guilt by association if i'm using a parallel here of if there is um a certain name next to another name that could invoke some sort of negative connotation or some thought pattern that then stops the buyer or deters the buyer in the buying process uh you certainly don't want that on the site
1: Yeah, well, I I would argue that a bad name next to something that they already like just makes them like the other one better. Not bad, but something that doesn't apply to them (laughs) makes them realize that the one they're looking at uh, doesn't or applies, you know, even better.
0: And and that's why you're running uh, Brand Bucket and Brand Root and not me. Uh, so then, wrapping up, what would your advice be to someone starting their journey in domain investing or into the domain industry specifically, speaking to brandable domains?
1: I would say if you're starting out and you're looking at and being a domain investor as a side hustle or as your main source of income, if you haven't yet figured out what you're good at as far as the type of names that you like to buy, or if you're good at outbound, or if you're good at finding things with traffic, and you wanna not put all your eggs in one basket, you buy a variety of names, including some names, like I said before, that you buy, that you like, and you don't know why you like them. They just have a cool sound, or they give you a cool visual. And then as a domain investor, you put the names in the proper places. If, if you have traffic data on your names, then maybe go to the bottom of the list, the things that have no traffic. And those are the ones that probably are the ones that you bought because you liked them. And then you go take those to brandable marketplaces. You put ones with high traffic on landers with low commission, you know, and and you move things around. Like you have to always be moving and testing and, you know, trying things out. And we have a lot of people on our marketplace The majority of their portfolio is brandable names because they've realized that that's what they are best at. And so there are domain investors who love marketplaces like BrandBucket, and they make a lot of money with marketplaces like BrandBucket. But that's not everyone. You know, not everyone is really good at that. So you have to find what you're good at. And before you do, you have to try a little of everything and put them everywhere.
0: Amazing advice. Amazing advice. And I don't think if there's anything worth listening to, like specifically for the newcomer, I go, it was just this last minute to two minutes of, I'm like, before you go out and hand register, before you go out and even invest in auctions, like go and listen Re-listen and re-listen and re-listen because um, I can tell you that there's so many uh, folks that enter into the industry and it's kind of a um, it's the, the pinball effect. They're kind of all over the place, not realizing what they're good at, um, not realizing their strengths, not realizing their weaknesses, not realizing threats, opportunities, um, and how all of that plays, you know, together. So that is. Phenomenal um, advice, and so last but not least, is there anything else that you'd like to share with listeners? How they can get in touch with you, or
1: yeah, um, I'm not so great at email, but you can try to send me an email. <laughs> I'm Margo with a T at brandbucket.com. Um, during COVID, I was missing social interaction. I really missed my office. And so I got right back on Twitter. I hadn't been on in years. And so um, I'm on there a lot now. So if you're listening to this and it's still 2020 or maybe early 2021, you can find me on Twitter and chat with me there.
0: She's like, after COVID passes, I'm turning Twitter back off. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. Once I'm getting my social fix elsewhere.
0: (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, with that, we're out of time. So, Margo, thank you again for joining us today and sharing your domain industry and entrepreneurial experience.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much. It was great.
0: Certainly. And thank you listeners for tuning in to Kickstart Commerce, where we share search marketing and domain name strategies to help grow your business. Please subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or Podbean. Last but not least, please visit kickstartcommerce.com to subscribe to the newsletter, sharing tips and tricks about the disciplines of digital strategy. Thanks. And that's all for now.